on the podcast today, Couch Potato Diary, uh, we are going to have uh, Grace Defo coming on. She is a Canadian skeleton athlete. We're going to talk about the, the Simone Biles situation and everything that is going into that. So that's going to be a lot of fun. But before I get into all of that, there was obviously the NBA draft last night. There is the Major League Baseball trade deadline that is going on right now. Thoughts on the uh, Toronto Blue Jays trade as they acquire Jose Barrios from the Twins for Simeon Woods Richardson and Austin Martin. I woke up this morning thinking this Blue Jays team needs to do something. It's not enough to just have a bunch of prospects and then just be kind of good enough. Um, when you see teams like the Yankees and you see teams like the Red Sox and you see teams like the Dodgers who are going for it, going for it. And so that's that that has always been uh, a little bit frustrating. And then they give up two of their top prospects. So I thought is, oh, that's a lot. Oh, I don't like giving up that much. But I I do like this move from a Blue Jays perspective. They needed a starting pitcher who could pitch in game one or game two of a playoff series. And this is that guy um, in, in Jose Barrios. <clears throat> Excuse me. In, in Jose Barrios, you get a, a guy who you have for another season. If you a, are able to lock him up long term, then that is an even bigger win for this organization and for this franchise. And so you you have to feel pretty good about that with the the team control situation with the Blue Jays. Um, as far as the prospects going back, like Simeon Woods Richardson looks like he's going to be a thing, and Austin Martin. Everyone is excited about him, but it's funny today as. Um, all of these things are starting to come out. There are a few people going, oh, maybe I wasn't as big of a fan of, of Austin Martin. But obviously, the return is big. But this is this is why you hoard prospects, right? Like, this is why you get as many good players as... or as many good young players as you can. I mean, obviously, the, the main goal is that they all turn into something amazing, and all of a sudden, you, you have this uh, fantastic, dynastic-type franchise, and you can just ride off into the sunset with a, a, a just absolute stable of, of tremendously talented players for a, a decade or so. But it doesn't work out that way. You acquire all this young talent so that you can, I mean, A, a couple of them hit, but B, you package them up to go get something real. And Jose Barrios is absolutely something real. Would it have been better if they hadn't given up two of their top five prospects? Yes. But with Simeon Woods Richardson, you look at the um, progress that Alec Manoa has made, and you look at what Nate Pearson could be. Um, I'm not saying, well, this team said it's starting pitching. Like, that—that that is obviously one that, that kind of stings to give up a little bit. But from an Austin Martin perspective, like, um, or Elvis Martinez has turned into a thing. And, I mean, you obviously already have good young talent at the major league level. And um, Groshans could still end up being a thing, right? So, I... I, I kind of thought that one of those kids was going to be moved at some point, and it turns out it is him. And now for the Blue Jays, like, th this is signaling, we think this is a team that can win this year. And they should. Um, I get they are still nine and a half games out of first in the division. That probably ain't happening. But you look at the teams ahead of them. The Yankees got a whole lot better, and that's a concern. For sure, but that is still a flawed roster. And the Oakland Athletics ahead of them. I still think the Blue Jays are better than Oakland, and that was before making this trade today. But now you have two legitimate studs at the top of your rotation in Ryu and in Barrios. If Ray can continue to be what he has been, then you're fine with him starting like a game three in a playoff series. And if Alec Manoa can... <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, if Alec Manoa can be a guy, then all of a sudden you have one through four and you're actually sitting pretty good. So we in hockey, we talk about slotting a lot with how different lineups um, tend to look. And I, I think now for the Blue Jays, this starting pitching group slots really, really well. They still need bullpen help. And um, it, it looks like they're going the catcher route as well, as uh, some reports indicate that Jan Gomes is in the crosshairs of the Blue Jays. That is a part of the Blue Jays lineup that certainly needs an upgrade. So they, they are not done, but this is a massive first step for the Blue Jays. And I, I think they have to be really, really excited about what is uh, what could potentially happen with this Blue Jays team, because I... I know I am, and I know that this is a team that I have 
pretty high hopes for. But this is this is a signal now. This is a we have to go for it. And I, I talked with Tim Leeper on my podcast um, about a week ago, talking about what the the trades for Tulowitzki and for David Price meant for the organization. And he said after that, like we just basically didn't lose. Like and it was okay if we lose one game, we know we ain't losing two in a row. So we're just gonna come out and win this ball game today. So uh, I do think that there is a confidence aspect of this. And now you look at the Blue Jays coming back to Toronto. Things are a little bit more settled in that area now. This is, I, I think there's a lot of room for optimism with the Blue Jays. I think this is a great trade for Toronto and an excellent return for Minnesota. Like this is, you have a potential stud type pitcher in a Jose Barrios. This is why you make those, uh, like the, 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 these are the types of returns that you need to get when you're giving up that type of a guy. And Minnesota certainly isn't going to be done with, um, any moves today. So th this is, yeah, an interesting trade for the Blue Jays, but I think a very positive one. And we will see now what, um, we'll see now what the, the Blue Jays have in store. Cause this, this can't as big as this is, and this is a blockbuster deal. And it's funny to say, okay, you did this now go do something else. Um, but this, this now can't be it for Toronto. You have to address the bullpen. And the bullpen's job gets a little bit easier when you have Jose Barrios now and you're maybe not relying on um, a less than stellar starting pitcher to go five, six innings instead of like, oh, well, now they're going four and that sucks. Um, so I, I think that getting a quality starting pitcher helps the bullpen, but you still need quality bullpen arms to help the bullpen as well. And I think the Blue Jays will be able to do that. I like that they're looking into Jan Gomes. It's interesting that they're looking into Trevor's story as a, a pretend, uh, potential rental as well. That would certainly signal some kind of a, a shift for the Blue Jays in looking at this year. Kimbrell is an interesting name, and he is a big name. Um, I wouldn't sell the farm for him. If I was getting into a, a bidding war for Craig Kimbrell, I, I just wouldn't. Um, I think there are probably better uh, bargain-type options you can get, but like if you want to just like grip it and rip it on this season and just go for it, I, I, I wouldn't... I wouldn't hate a, uh, a Craig Kimbrell in Toronto, but that would be one where I would not be necessarily comfortable just selling the farm on, you know? Um, but overall, I, I think this is I think this is a good one. Whichever team between the Yankees and the Blue Jays add the best pieces to the bullpen should get a wild card spot. The Yankees have certainly been aggressive over the last little bit, and that's... I, I thought they were a model, and I think they put a lot of pressure on the Blue Jays for this trade because you look at, like, the Yankees, th this has been a bad season for them. And the Blue Jays have been a better team than the Yankees, I think, all season, and it, with the exception of the Blue Jays' bullpen um, just absolutely imploding. If they had even an average bullpen, this Toronto Blue Jays team is miles ahead of the Yankees. And you have a Yankees team that probably shouldn't be in a spot to just fucking giver and they're going for it so I, I think that puts some pressure on the Blue Jays but you you like to see that from a team where it's you know like games back wise we're maybe not where we want to be but th this is still a very talented team and we think we can still do something this year the Yankees are crazy um I was doing uh about like prep for Okotoks dog stuff last night and so I haven't had a chance to like in my mind put together what the Yankees lineup looks like and now what Boston's lineup potentially what looks like although I think uh Kyle Schwarber is a little bit of a um flash in the pan type of a thing like he's he was very very good but I, I don't know if I'm necessarily buying this one this season for him so I, I don't know that that one from the Red Sox didn't necessarily scare me the Dodgers like holy shit I'm uh, just going out and get Max Scherzer like well uh one Cy Young caliber pitcher um probably isn't going to pitch for us for the rest of the season so let's go out and get another one and then Trey Turner on top of that like that's absolutely crazy but it, it's been a lot of fun like this is what trade deadline time excuse me, is, is supposed to look like. And to the, the point in the chat here, yes, Brian Cashman is trying to save his job, needs to save his job. If if this Yankee team doesn't make the playoffs, um, then his, his job is probably gone. And... I don't even know if just making the playoffs is enough, right? Like, it's it's enough for the Blue Jays. I don't know if it's enough uh, out in the Bronx. I, I think that this is a, a Yankee team that expects great things. So I, I don't think if they make it to the wild card round and end up losing to Tampa Bay, then I, I think that that still ends up costing everyone their job because this season's been a disaster. And you can throw a bunch of star players at it. Um, Gallo in there. Like, you can throw all these star players in there. This is still a, a flawed roster right from the get-go. And 
I, I don't think that should be overlooked. So unless this team goes absolutely bonkers, um, I, I think that major changes are needed out in New York. I know this is a baseball thing, but I do quickly, just because I'm recording this for my podcast, I do quickly want to touch on some stuff from the uh, the NBA draft last night. The Toronto Raptors going Scotty Barnes over Jalen Suggs. I have been talking myself into it ever since the pick. Mainly the, the confidence that you have in the Raptors front office. Um, but you look at Suggs and it's just like any, like, kind of everything you want from a a, a draft prospect that isn't, like, one of the, the top, like, draft guys. Um, and Suggs going for like, that he is a top guy, but it, it felt like he had the potential to turn into kind of a, like, all-around star player type of a dude. But it, it feels like Barnes is that guy as well. It's just the, the issue is the thing that is holding him back from being that star type of a player is the most important thing in the NBA right now, and that's shooting. And I do find it funny, and I, I have caught myself a couple of times. Like, for weeks, I was saying... Um, you know, like there's more ways to win in the NBA than just one. We're proving that this postseason with Giannis and with Aiton and with all of these guys, but the, the Phoenix Suns, like this is, there, there are more ways to win than just shoot a thousand threes and there you go. And then as soon as the NBA finals are over, it's like, okay, where do we get more shooting? How do they get more shooting? You need to get shooters, 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 shooters. Um, and so they, they make this pick and, oh, well, it needs to be a better shooter. It's like, well, he does like almost everything else on the floor very, very well. And you hear about the talk of the the basketball IQ and all of those things for for the Raptors. And he, he does kind of scream Toronto Raptor. If they can get his shooting anywhere close to being NBA ready, then this could actually end up being a, a steal of a deal. Now, you don't get many steals at four, right? Like that's not... Um, aside from, like, Luka Doncic, um, you, you don't get many, like, and he was five, I think, but you, you don't get a, oh, wow, yeah, really snagged this one. Like, four kind of needs to be a, a home run type of a thing, but if you can get Barnes any kind of shooting, then it does end up being um, that that type of a, a, a home run. And, yeah, the, the Raptor front office, they've, they, they've, I mean, they missed on Bruno Caboclo. He, I think he's still two years away from being two years away. Um, but they, like with Giannis and with Van Vliet and, um, Terrence Davis looked like a, a good pickup until he turned into a piece of shit. So that was, um, they've done a very good job of identifying talent and they've apparently identified something here. So they are, they are certainly an organization that deserves the benefit of the doubt. So who am I to judge this team based off of the 45 minutes of college basketball I watched this season? Um, to be like, Hey, I wouldn't have done that. What the hell? <laughs> so, um, pretty funny in that sense. But the other obvious big move of the day is Russell Westbrook traded to the LA Lakers. A big haul goes back the Washington way, and I'll get to that in a second. But I have no idea how it's going to work out in LA with Russell Westbrook. Uh, just like spacing wise, the only like the only way it kind of works is if you convince. Um, if you convince AD that he just has to play the five now, like if you, if you have him at the four and you have a five clogging things up at the five, um, and then LeBron's not exactly just spot up in the corner, excuse me, uh, spot up in the corner three guy either. So, and now you have Russell Westbrook who, if he was half as good at shooting as he thought he was, he'd be Ray Allen. I just, I don't know. Uh, again, there are more ways to win than just one in the NBA, but you do need some kind of spacing in the NBA these days, and this Laker team appears to have exactly none of that right now. We, we haven't even got to free agency yet. They, they still could make a Buddy Heald trade, which might help a little bit, but um, I just, like, in a playoff game, like, Russell Westbrook not exactly known for being a stellar off-the-ball guy, and LeBron's going to be managing a lot of that in, in late game situations. So you're going to have Russ sitting on the bench. Like I just, I don't, I don't know how it works in LA right now. We will see what the finished product is, but I, I don't know what this looks like with the Lakers this upcoming season from a Washington perspective. I get it is commonplace to overrate prospects and younger players on marquee franchises. Um, it happened forever with Yankee prospects it happens a ton in Canada with anyone who plays on the Toronto Maple Leafs. See Hyman, Zach. Oh, the Braves are going for it. Adam Duvall and Eddie Rosario now. Interesting. Uh, also, David Krejci is going to play in the Czech Republic, so his NHL career is coming to an end, which is interesting. I thought he'd at least find somewhere to go, but the the, the um, Bruins had a pretty good day the other day, so I, I think 
you kind of saw the writing on the wall with that one. Um, but as far as Washington is concerned, getting it's Kuzma and Harrell and picks, basically. I actually, like, I, I don't hate it from a Washington perspective. To get anything of any kind of value back for uh, Westbrook's contract is actually amazing. And I, I had said in the playoffs, like, I don't know if Washington, what they have now is like a, a breakthrough and find a way um, to, to be a, a championship team. But when you look at, when you look at what they're building now, if they're able to keep Bradley Beal, you have Beal, you have Rui, um, wow, I said that weird, uh, Rui Hachimura, who isn't nothing. Um, like, I, I think he can be a, a pretty solid player in this league. And you have Gafford, who showed some flashes. He can be something. And now, if Kyle Kuzma can be, again, half of what the Laker hype would suggest that he could be when he's getting thrown in every trade rumor ever for every star player ever, if he can turn into anything, all of a sudden, like, you have Bertans there in Washington as well. Like, all of a sudden, Washington's roster... All of a sudden, Washington's roster isn't an absolute train wreck. And that that is about the nicest thing you've been able to say about Washington in the last five or six years, basically since they swept the Raptors in that playoff series. It has not been an inspiring journey for Washington. So I like this trade for the Wizards a lot. I know... Um, like you're, you're not going to see sports center leading with, okay, what does this deal mean for Washington? But I, I think Washington's building something sneaky. And again, in an Eastern conference that isn't the best, um, that this is, I, I think if they're able to keep Beal, this is looking like a playoff roster. And depending on what you get for Beal, that this could be a, a playoff roster as well. I don't know. Like, I don't know if Simmons fits with this roster, but I, I, I actually kind of like what Washington is doing. Um, other notes, like, obviously, the winners are going to be the guys who are picking in the top three. I, I think all three of those guys have the potential to be, like, real star-type guys in the NBA. Um, Orlando comes away with a great draft because they get Barnes and um, Wagner, right? So, um, I think the Orlando Magic, after years and years of not great drafts, um, they come away looking pretty good coming out of this one. So, an interesting time. This has been just absolutely redlining sports coverage in the last little while, and it is certainly not done. that you hear on Couch Potato Diary is provided by Wasted Talent. Find them on Instagram at Wasted Talent with X's where the A's would be. Very pleased to be joined by our next guest. She is Canadian skeleton athlete, Grace Defoe. Grace, how are you today? I'm good, thanks. Thank you for having me. Thank you for doing this. I, I really do appreciate it. Uh, first question, starting with the hard-hitting stuff. Skeleton athlete, skeletoner, ske skeletony. How, how, how do skeleton athletes get identified? Uh, skeleton athletes generally one of this. Sometimes we get skeleton racer, skeleton mm. if someone really is a fan of the, the cartoon. Um, but <laughs> yeah, athlete slider sometimes as well. We really okay. take anything. Okay, that's fair. Um, so a lot to cover with you today, but the, the, the main, I guess, talking point is the main talking point, it, it seems like on planet Earth right now, and that is Simone Biles' decision to, um, uh, I guess, pull herself out of an Olympic competition, citing mental health issues. I guess, first of all, your reaction to, to her doing that on the, the grandest stage that sport has to offer. Yeah, I mean, she is, I was watching her obviously in the USA Gymnastic Trials leading up to, I'm a big sports fan, obviously, um, <laughs> and it's pretty shocking. I can't, I wasn't watching live when I, when I got the notification and I thought she had actually pulled out of the whole Olympics and I was like, wow, this is insane. So, I mean, when I scaled back and learned more, I was like, okay, she just pulled herself out of the, out of the final, um, the team final, and which is fine because they, they have enough people obviously in the team and I had watched the USA gymnastics um, selections and I was like, wow, like they have a ton of great athletes. So, um, I mean, all I have to say is that like, I commend her for doing that and choosing her over the competition because since then I've seen so many athletes coming out and saying like, you know, there were times when I was struggling and I still went through with my competition and a lot of them seem to end up with like, I did this or I like, I hurt myself or mm -hmm. I set myself back kind of, and I don't really think a lot of people had had those conversations. So I think she really started a movement, but at the bottom of it is that before going into Tokyo, she 
She's the greatest of all time in gymnastics. She's one of the greatest athletes outside of gymnastics of all time. She didn't really need the, the Tokyo aspect to, you know, catapult herself further into mm-hmm. fame per se. She's doing it for herself. So, I mean, I thought it was a good way for her to like leave a legacy in, in sport as well and just take care of herself. And I know a lot of athletes are, you know, struggling and, there's mental health support at the games with like certain countries and stuff like that. And I just think she's the one talking about it. Mm -hmm. Really, Yeah. And that, that conversation is one that has really started um, much more here over the last little while. Um, And yeah, like there's just so many different ways to, to branch off of that. And I think it's almost like she's a victim of her own success because you see what she does and there is not another human being on the planet who can do what she does. And if that's off even a touch, whether it be something mental, something physical, anything, like she could end up legitimately hurting herself and altering the course of the rest of her life. So even just from that standpoint, and there are obviously layers to this, but just from a pure athletics, I probably don't want to land on my neck standpoint. It's if you're not 100% mentally there, that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I can speak to that in my own sport where we're going 130 something kilometers an hour. But uh, she did pull out of like, like pop her vault or whatever it is. She was supposed to do two and a half rotations and she did a rotation and a half. And um, Kyle Schufelt was commentating on CBC. And, you know, he said, I don't think the general population realizes how, how much of a safety hazard that is, that she only landed it because she is the greatest in the world, that so many other people would have, you know, landed elsewhere and, and maybe caused injury. So she caught it because she was, because she is the best in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I like to my naked eye, I, I didn't see an issue with it. Right. But he really brought it to light, and Kyle Schufeld did a great job of reiterating that. I thought on the Canadian broadcast. Yeah. Quick aside, how good is he? Like, oh, he is so good at the uh, a lot of the Olympic commentators. Because again, you're you're talking about sports that people don't necessarily follow for four years, and you have to be smart enough that you get the point across to the people who are pretending to be experts for five minutes, but also not be insulting to the people who actually know what's going on. How good is he at these though? He's so good. And you know what? The diver, um, diving to Hartley, mm. she's amazing. I think one, one good thing is that obviously not everyone is on the ground in Tokyo. So right. they've been able to bring in these people and go live on location from basically the nearest CBC studio. <laughs> and it was, they've really been able to bring in the experts. And, and, you know, I remember watching in the past and some of the feeds online weren't, weren't commentated. And now I was watching Canoe Kayak and they're commentated by someone who really knew their stuff. And I was really impressed. Yeah. Um, back to the, the Simone Biles conversation, you, you mentioned in, in your answer that there was um, a lot of athletes who said like, yeah, I've, I've felt this before and it has led to X, Y, and Z and, and generally Y and Z aren't very good. Um, how important is it to have these conversations now? Because a lot of times in sports, it, it has been, you, you just nose to the grindstone, rub some dirt on it. And, and this, this is the, the mental toughness with which we hold every athlete to so that they can grind through and be better than everyone else. And it's like, well, nope, still definitely human beings. Um, how important is it to kind of have this almost humanizing conversation? Well, I, I really think like people look up to athletes and I think that obviously our society as a whole, we need to keep pushing the mental health conversation outside of sport further. And I, I do think by people that, you know, kids are growing up idolizing are coming out and saying these things. Like, I think it's really important for them to realize like, wow, that person's the best in her sport, like of all time, but she still struggles sometimes. And it's like, it does humanize them, but it also, it just, to me, I think is that more of a comforting as a, as a fellow athlete, myself as well, you're like, wow. Okay. Like, they're the best at their, and they're the, the top of their game, but some days they're not. And, you know, I think it also for, I think it benefits everyone, but as an yeah. athlete myself, you're like, okay, great. Like they're, I'm not the, you know, you're not the only one. You don't feel as, as alone in that sense. And I think it's really good for the next generation who are mm-hmm. watching these games and maybe they'll grow up being a little bit more open about it. Yeah. Like I've, um, past radio career talked about my mental health things and one of the things that I I've tried to focus on is like every time you think there's a checkpoint where it's like okay I'm this is going to happen and then I'm going to get through this and everything's going to be fine the weight's going to be off and everything's going to be lovely and it's going to be awesome and then I get to that 
And then there's something else. And then there's something else. And I think a lot of people assume whether it be professional athletes like Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan, those guys are making more money than I'll ever be able to imagine in my life. And they still have these struggles. And Simone Biles is the, the greatest in the history of what she does. And see, she still has these troubles. And it just, I think it kind of shows like mental health does not discriminate. It, it, it's not just for, for people living on the street or whatever. It is the people at the, the highest tippy top of whatever mountain they choose to climb. Yeah nailed it with that. I, I totally agree. It doesn't discriminate. Mm -hmm. um, who does discriminate are some people on social media. Awkward segues. Um, what has your reaction been to the reaction? Um, yeah, I think I said that right. What's your reaction been to some people's negative reaction uh, on Simone Biles? Because there has been a, a shark, uh, shocking and disheartening amount of uh, negative feedback online. Yeah, and I definitely think that maybe not necessarily everyone understood it in the first 24 hours, I think after the last few days, it settled down a little bit more in terms of, you know, people fully understanding what, what happened and like the versus when it was happening. And I think we live in this world now where it's happening and people are tweeting from all over the world. Well, well, it's happening. And, you know, they're, so it, it's almost like a blessing and a curse because rumors start to fly, things circulate. They don't know what it is. She's walking off the floor and people are tweeting like what's wrong with her. And then, I found it really interesting. The commentator said, like, they came back. Um, they're like, oh, she doesn't appear to have anything physically wrong with her. But then she took off her wrist guards. And like, oh, she must be, you know, not returning. But they didn't really speculate. And I, I really did appreciate that, at least on the Canadian feed. Again, shout out to, the, to them because they did a great job. Mm -hmm. um, I can't speak for necessarily some of the NBC or the other, <laughs> other um, media. You never know what they're saying. But yeah, I, it was disheartening a bit as another athlete just to see mm -hmm. how instantaneously people just went like right for her throat. And like, I just literally before this was reading um, uh, another athlete from the States, not that not in her sport, um, but like a past athlete and was saying like, how nice of her to win a medal while she took a backseat and let her team do all the work. And I said in my head, right before this, I'm like, that is a horrible take because yeah. she has carried the whole USA gymnastics team through an era that was obviously one of the terrible, full of terrible abuse with mm -hmm. gymnastics and Larry Nassar and all that stuff. And like, she has carried everyone through that era and she burdened all of that. I almost feel like, and it, it got to be, it seems like it to be too much. So um, yeah, I think the American media, one, I saw one guy call her a heartless sociopath and that um, we should be ashamed that she's mentoring the next generation, which I completely, as I said, disagree. Right. And, uh, and he also said that she brought shame to America by letting the Russians win. And I was like, again, you can't, she doesn't exist solely to represent the USA. She exists as a human. Yeah. She happens to be on team USA, which is her work. But when you start to say like you exist solely for that, no matter what your job is, it's always, it's never going to end well. So yeah, I mean, it's just, I think you just got to take a second before you become a keyboard warrior. Um, mm -hmm. Ronda Rousey said it best. I think she said you're on Twitter. She's on the Olympic team. So yeah, take a step back. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. Like I, I sometimes get too nervous to play video games. So I like, I can't imagine like the, the Olympic stage every, and then on top of it, like you said, like it almost felt like, these games needed her more than she needed them in terms of everything that's gone on with us gymnastics over the last, I mean, really over the last forever, but specifically over the last couple of years. Um, and then like, it has not been a positive Olympic so far press wise. And so that it kind of needed a, a Simone Biles to, to be larger than all of these problems. And, and again, when, when she said, I'm doing this for people other than myself, like that, for, for whatever reason that really hit home. Cause like you said, like that, this is, there is so much on her plate anyway, that no wonder she's having some issues. Yeah. I mean, and I think anyone can, anyone can say when sometimes when you spread yourself too thin, that's when mm -hmm. you start to get stressed and, and get into that. So, I mean, I, I won't speculate what she's going through, but I, I, there was a lot and I agree. It might've been too much outward pressure. And right. I can say that I, can't even imagine the internal pressure she has sitting on. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think, I don't know if a lot of people realize how much internal pressure some athletes put on themselves and that in itself when compounded with the external pressure can just be like, it can be crushing. Um, yeah. And obviously and I've never been to the game, so I can't even speak to the level, but I do know that I hold myself to a very high standard <laughs> and, 
and I'm very hard on myself and also so I like I know we're our worst critics and sometimes yeah mm. so I like I, I feel for her and I just think that she took on the burden too of that like media and you know she's got the emoji right for the hashtag emoji right for the games and stuff like that like just perfect storm but yeah. I have to say like shout out to her for recognizing she said she didn't want to screw it up for her team and she trusted in her team which I think is really cool for her to know they won a silver medal which is not disappointing you know yeah I know USA said oh they had to settle for silver but like <laughs> other countries didn't even make the final so mm -hmm. you know <laughs> yeah like so happy do you understand what silver means that means second best on this planet like that, that it's not like at, at your whatever rec league where you finished second out of four teams uh, of a bunch of 35 year olds like that this is second on planet the world yeah and I think obviously athletes are going to be a little bit disappointed if they knew that they could mm -hmm. do better than speaking to internal pressure like they said but yeah when you put it in that perspective you're like wow I made it to the Olympics especially in a sport like gymnastics in the states you have to beat out so many people yeah. and then you have to be selected to the team and all this stuff like to make it to that and still get a silver medal and it's just I think incredible and I like anyone training for the Olympics or Paralympics or any high level sport like it is hard and mm -hmm. it's a lot of work and it's a grind and all this stuff. And I like, we just need to extend a little more grace to these, to these people, I think. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and another aspect of this that I I've never been able to wrap my head around and never will be able to wrap my head around. Um, like, everything is peaking toward this one moment, right? And in her case, like she has been fortunate enough that this isn't her first go around, but still like, like as you said, like this is a level you would like to, to get to. And it, it is like four years really, but an entire lifetime comes down to a couple of moments. Like from that aspect of things, that has to be incredibly um, grinding, I guess, as well. Yeah, and it is like, you know, we're constantly, um, I speak for my own self, but we have two training camps a summer before we head into on ice um, Canadian selection races. And those testing camps are like, you know, they set out a certain number of tests like sprint, you know, triple jump, et cetera, long jump, certain number of tests. And like all eyes are on you and, you know, you sprint a tenth slower than you did eight months ago. And they're like, what's going on? Why'd you sprint 10? And not in a bad way, but they're, they're wondering. Mm -hmm. And it's like crazy how, especially in my sport, how down to hundreds of seconds you become like, obsessed with you know getting better and we're searching for that extra kilometer and hundredth of a second and then we go into our Canadian selection races on ice and it's like again it's constant nitpicking and and, and in, in the best way possible like they're not my coaches aren't doing it because they're like oh you're not good enough they're doing right. it because they're trying to push me to you know yeah. try try to be the best I can be and hopefully one day qualify for the Olympics and um, they know what my goals are and that's part of the positive coaching relationship that I know I'm very lucky to have, but, um, it is like, you're constantly under scrutiny because, you know, you're receiving, I receive sport Canada funding. So I'm also, you know, I have to be accountable to sport Canada because they're mm -hmm. funding me and own the podium, which gives our, our sport organization money here in Canada. Um, you know, you're accountable to these people because they're funding your program and some individual athletes. So it just, it gets to be a lot and you really do have to like, I make a huge point of celebrating all my tiny wins. And so like, even last year, we had to spend a bunch of time off competing. We didn't travel a lot. So we spent a lot of time out in Whistler, just on our home, home track in Canada. And I like made sure I was like, my goal every day we train is to leave the track with one positive. Cause sometimes I'll be like, Oh, negative, 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 negative. Like I could have been better here. I could have been better here. And so if I like left and like we closed our video review session with like, I'm really happy with this today, the like mood going into the next day was a lot better. So it just, <laughs> I, I, and so I like, like I said, it's just, you're under so many eyes from just your coaches and your teammates and your competitors. Mm -hmm. Then there's a whole other level of at that level of the world. And perhaps yeah. I'm very lucky to do a little bit of a smaller sport that we might never <laughs> we might never get that much of intense media presence. And to be honest, I'm not entirely mad about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
and like with, with all of that weighing on, on every athlete, like you said, in your sport, like there are obviously dangers that are, are associated with it. And again, if you are a 10th or a hundredth of a second off, that's the difference sometimes between like first and eighth. Um, and that 10th of a second can just be a, eh, I don't know if I'm all here today. And, and with her, like uh, an extra, like, centimeter of rotation one way or to less of a rotation the other way and things start exploding and that's awful for you like the, this it really is when you get to this level like everything has to be focused on that moment if your head is even one percent somewhere else then it can really mess you up yeah absolutely and it it that's how a lot of injuries happen i mean um in the weight room lifting lots of weight um sprinting it's like one misstep or one you know wandering thought during a power clean and you can catch weird and you know tweak something and it's not always disastrous but it's not peak performance it's not ideal mm -hmm. and it happens but we definitely train like mentally um to handle that year round whether it's on the track or in training because it is such a grind and I definitely am one of the ones that I know when my head isn't in it for another run and like, we only get about six runs leading into a race, which is just under six minutes of training. Um, <laughs> so it's all about the mental prep off the ice. And, you know, there's sometimes where I'm like, you know what, like I need to rest my body and just like do something like off ice visualizations, extra video, et cetera, that can like supplement it and necessarily can't replace it, but mm. it does help the, um, you know, the, the, when I have to call it and be like, you know what, like I can't do another. And Sometimes whenever I have this, like, I have a rule of thumb, whenever I'm laboring that I'm like, oh, I really want to go for another run again. Cause we can only do about two or three runs a day in training. I would say some people do more, but it's a lot physically, you know, you're going 135 right. kilometers an hour, with five years of pressure in some corners. Like it's, a, it's a lot, it takes a lot <laughs> out of you. So like, you know, I, I, whenever I waver, I am like, okay, you know what it is. I'm like, I need to take a run off. Obviously in races, I don't always have that opportunity, but I guess this opens up a whole other thought that like, you know what, you can pull out of a race. Um, yeah. And like, and that's where I think the culture, she's going to push the culture that way. And I mean, I don't know if you want to do that all of the time. Obviously if it's happening all the time, you need to step back and say like, why is this happening all of mm -hmm. the time? But she's proving that, you know, sometimes you just need to take a step back and take care of yourself no matter what's going on and, in sport you there's also human you yeah yeah and and human you has to last a lot longer than sport you has to last so so take care yeah. of human you yes <laughs> um I, I was going to ask you and you you kind of answered it there but i was going to ask like on a race day uh, and i guess this does change the conversation but on a race day if you do kind of notice your mind going in a few different places or whatever is there a, a technique or something that you do that's like okay let's let's bring it back down to to where we're at instead of did i leave the stove on or something like that yep there's a lot and um i've been very lucky to work with the canadian center for mental health and sport through Canada's like support for athletes game plan, um, which is something that's really awesome. We have access to here. Um, and Canadian center for mental health and sport, I'll just say is available to any athlete, I think over the age of 16 in their intake. Mm. Um, it's not always free, but they'll try and match you with someone who best fits maybe if you have insurance, et cetera. Um, because I'm a national team athlete, I do have access to, obviously a free amount of sessions, um, which is a game changer. And I've worked a ton with my sports psychologist um, who's actually going to support Canada for the Paralympics, um, which is really awesome. And we've worked together for a few years now and just, so there's no, there's so many, it depends what I need. And I, I, I'm very much in tune with what I need, but breathing is a huge one for me. Um, the box breath, it's like in for three, hold out for three, hold. Um, that always focuses me in and like kind of gets me into that like what if I'm too nervous it brings me down if I'm like a little lethargic it'll bring me up um another one is like grounding your feet so and swaying side to side is supposed to I can't remember what part of your brain but it like calms your brain out of that like panic mm. state um again these are all I'm not I'm not an expert right. but they all work for me yeah um we do a ton of visualizations and like stuff like that and for me I perform best when I'm confident so all of that prep work and like talking with my coaches every day, et cetera, helps me build my confidence so that I can perform. Otherwise, if I'm not confident, I, there's like a little party that holds something back, which is obviously 
we're fighting for hundreds of seconds. It's not what you want. Right. Um, but yeah, so there's all that. Sometimes I like music. Sometimes I don't like music. Like it's very, I have no set routine and like, it's just very dependent on what I'm feeling, what the atmosphere is. And you really have to be ready for anything in our sport too. You know, you could be delayed because of a crash, delayed because of weather. It could be right. raining too much. It could be windy. It could be snowy. You could get your car stuck going up to the hill. This happened. In my, uh, <laughs> it's not funny. This happened in our Canadian selection races this really? year in October. Um, it snowed a lot up in Whistler. I uh, drive a little Ford Focus and um, I had all season tires on. <laughs> Rookie mistake, but I drove up there <laughs> before the snow and kind of didn't really have winter tires. So I was like, oh, you know what? They're like MS. I'll be fine. And I had to park halfway down the, the hill to the track and text one of my teammates. I'm like, can you pick me up? I'm standing in the parking lot halfway up the hill. And uh, and fun, funny side stories. I took a video of it and we're like on Instagram. I'm like, so I'm stuck in the hill, blah, blah, blah. And I actually ended up getting free winter tires from an awesome Canadian company. Oh, nice. <laughs> tire Source Canada. They sent them right to my door in Whistler. Anyways, um, that was really awesome and like a super funny thing to share. But like that happened on a race day. So you really just have to be <laughs> yeah. ready for anything. And I think having this, like, I call it my toolboxes. I have all these tools in my toolbox and we develop them over the year and work quite closely to, and it's kind of like, do I need a wrench or a screwdriver? And you take whatever one out you need and yeah, just another quick aside the, the winter tire thing I was like I grew up small town Saskatchewan I lived like in the prairies and then whatever you want to consider Calgary to be with the mountains over there probably over there um and I've been like I don't need winter tires give me all seasons I'll be fine I know how to handle it and then we finally got winter tires about a year ago and I have given in that it makes a substantial difference and it, it actually helps quite a bit so I'm very I'm very pro winter tire and this is a, another argument in that direction for sure um just um one one other aspect of this before we get into a, a couple of other things i want to talk with you about today um if a teammate came to you um because like th there's a lot of individuality in sport but there's also like you have a broader team a couple of broader teams and especially when you're going to, to different like world competitions and stuff like that if a teammate came to you and did something or didn't even come to you and did something similar that that simone did i guess how how do you think you would handle something along those lines yeah, I mean, it, it would be a little bit different just because I think obviously we don't like, actually we do have a team competition now. So I think like it, it is valid, it could happen and whether it be our individual or team event, but I just think showing unwavering support for the right. person is most important. And like, we're a pretty strong, strong team. Um, you know, we pride ourselves. We're not really well funded in Canada. So, you know, we really rely on each other. And we work, like I said, you only get six runs together. Like you have to mm -hmm. work really closely with the person. And I think you just show them unwavering support. Um, I mean, I would direct them to game plan, like I said, in the Canadian Center for Mental Health and Sport and say like, hey, you know, you don't even have to go through your national, that's outside of our national sport organization. So they don't have to know that you're accessing this. And we also do have a 24-7 through game plan, um, like, um, like emergency support, whether it be by phone chat, email etc which is like for more emergent needs so i would right. definitely like kind of just say hey like here's your options i like let me know if i mean i can't i can't do it all for you but let me know how i can help and kind yes. of stuff. and i really think it's important um to know what the resources are and when i was a before i made the national team you know i, I kind of was like there's a really big gap for provincial and um like developing athletes in Canada necessarily haven't quite reached that level yet and you have to pay for it, which mm -hmm. is really tough. And it's like, it's a catch 22, you know, when some athletes need it to make it to the national team to get access to it um, for free, but are you going to make the national team without it? It's kind of like this, right. you know, and, and I, I'm sure everyone knows mental health support in general is very expensive here. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely just encourage them that it's okay and like it's okay to take a race off and not to feel like they're burdening you know our team or putting our team out people get disqualified out of races for all kinds of small technicalities like no one's gonna know it just shows up as either did not start or if you start the run and, and crash it shows up as do not did not finish it's not disclosed you know i i've i've not started a second run before and i've had 
someone who writes a lot about signing in the States reach out to me and he's like, Hey, like you good. So I didn't start your second run. And I was at the hospital getting hand x-rays. Oh. <laughs> um, and I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm just, you know, at the hospital, um, everything's fine. <laughs> just <laughs> precautionary. But like, the thing is, is that no one's going to know, like, I think right. that's the biggest thing. And you can just say like, not feeling it today. It doesn't matter if it's physical or mental, you know, that's between you discussing with your coach. You really just tell the race officials or the coach tells the race officials athlete not going, they, they broadcast it to everyone. And we're a pretty small community too, that if I feel like if they weren't comfortable talking to someone within their own team, um, hopefully they would also reach out to one of our international um, mm -hmm. teammates and, and ask, or, you know, within Bobsight as well, we work, we travel a lot with Bobsight. So um, I really just hope that they can identify one person that's like at that race stop that week to like right. confide in and, and not necessarily burden them with it, but be like, how can I get help? And, you know, that person might not know the answer, but they could ask someone of the same nation privately and not disclose who it's for and stuff. So I just really think like long, that's a long answer, but I just really hope that our team would feel empowered to, to reach out to anyone and, and say, Hey, like, this is what's going on or not even, I just need, I just need resources and there are resources available. We're very lucky to be, um, to have them available. Mm -hmm. um, so you wouldn't call them a selfish sociopath then to their face. That's, that's not a, a attack you would take. Or on Twitter. Or yeah. <laughs> but, no, absolutely. I don't think there's any, like we said, people have not started races because they have an injury. And I don't, I don't think that it needs to be disclosed whether it's physical or mental. Um, yeah or any sort of limitation why people do it for all kinds of reasons yeah um uh, a couple other things i wanted to chat with uh you before we get going and also the tenor of this conversation did change over the last little bit because when I, I messaged you the other day about this it was when I, I think you quote tweeted the video of the the selfish sociopath and whatever and i i basically wanted to just do half an hour of screw these people um but uh, again there I, i've seen much more supportive messages online since so it's i've i've been able to calm down a bit and, and yeah this this conversation I, I think has changed a little bit over the last 48 hours or so yeah, which I think is good too, because it allows the initial emotion to subside and for people to process really what's going on. And I hope that those that, you know, did make a comment have since retracted them or say, you know what, I've, I've, I've rethought my, my position. And I just really hope that people just take the time to think. Athletes yeah. are on social media too. We're like, you know, I, you'd hate to see someone saying like, oh, this skeleton race really sucks. And then I like go on Twitter after my race and I'm like, oh, that really doesn't feel good. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, as far as these games are concerned, uh, one of the big talking points in it from a Canadian perspective has been uh, all the medals so far have been won by uh, Canadian women. And that has been, um, a, it's been awesome to see, but also I feel like over the last like 18 months or so, there really has been a, you know, like women's sports exist and it's actually pretty awesome. Um, is that something that you've kind of noticed a, a, another push in? And I guess as someone who like a woman in sports, um, th th this feels, it, it feels like there, there's a big almost movement going on. Is that something you recognize? Absolutely. I and mean, there is a big movement. Now what I have my eye keenly tuned to is post Beijing. Um, mm. Obviously we're very lucky to have six or six months between four games, you know, two Olympic, two para. Um, so it's going to be a heck of a year for sports fans for amateur sports <laughs> and winter and summer. But, um, yeah, I mean, I just want, I'm keenly tuned to see if it sticks. Um, mm. I think it's a fad right now, a little bit of buzzword and not to say there hasn't been incredible change. Um, Mandy Bougeau, who fought at the highest court level in sport to qualify despite, um, basically being left off the qualification because she was pregnant and on maternity leave when they took results from two and a half years ago because of COVID and she fought and she's like I was number one in the world like right up till before then um yeah. and Kim Gaucher in Canada led the charge to allow women to you know the opportunity to bring a care uh, caregiver and and their child to the Olympics for and I think like as well those are two amazing Canadian women that really led the charge and um I just really Yes, it, it's been amazing. And I'm so proud to be a Canadian woman in sport. And it's something we obviously want to teach everyone to look up to. You know, I saw a thing, it was like, dear Canadian girls right now, look up to like all these athletes. And I was like, dear everyone, 
anyone can look up to a female athlete. It doesn't matter what they identify as. Um, right. Like anyone can look up to us and be like, wow, that's amazing. But I do also have to shout out, like, I would say that the men's, um, can't remember what relay it was, but the men's swimming relay team, um, they had an incredible performance. They were ranked like 22 going into the team race and they came up fourth. And Brent Hayden, who's a longtime veteran, he's like in his late thirties, you know, huddled around with his three, like under 25 teammates and like gave him a pep talk after they came forth. And I think there are these really awesome moments, you know, we get caught up in medals, but there's these really awesome small moments that are happening. And like, so also make sure to pay attention to those regardless yeah. of the gender. But um, I just really, yeah, it, it's awesome. And I really do appreciate that there was like a more even split now for Canadian Olympians we took um, to the games, which is really awesome. And, and more female events being added, you know, um, canoe kayak, whitewater canoe kayak for women was just added. Um, Calgary and Haley Daniels has pushed for that for years and years and years. And she just competed a couple days ago. So, I mean, it's, it's awesome just to see, even in my sport, um, previously only 20 could go to the Olympics and they bumped it up to 25. The men used to get 30. They've evened it to 25 each, which I think is, is really awesome because it was really hard to be in the top 20, you know, out of the hundred skeleton athletes in the world and some countries, you know, get certain spots and et cetera. But all in all, I just, I don't want it to end. I want it to right. stay. And, and I really think they're, you know, there's a way mm -hmm. interact with your female athletes on social media, amplify their stories, share their content. People like you having me on here, like <laughs> you're, you're allowing me to have a voice and, and that kind of stuff. So it just, there are lots of free ways to support female athletes. Um, you know, if you happen to be in a position where you work at a company, sponsor athletes, sponsor female athletes, that kind of stuff, but not everyone has that position. So I think just, you know, that this is where Twitter is a blessing and a curse is like, we very much rely on Twitter, Instagram, social media, all those stuff to like, we have to be on there in order to get right. any traction. And it's, that's where it's so hard, um, you know, where we're clawing for this media attention, but then it goes badly and you're like, it, it hurts you. It's like stabbing you in the back a little bit. So mm -hmm. yeah, be kind, amplify our voices. <laughs> All that jazz. <laughs> yeah. The, the social media aspect of it, again, to tie in with the, the mental health, I, I've, I have found, and it's actually something I, I talked to uh, my, my counselor about is like, I'm on social media too much and rely on that for way too much of like self-worth and stuff like that. But then if I'm not on it, like I'm doing my own thing now, if I'm not on it, there's that whole stupid building a brand BS that everyone has to do. But it's like, if I'm not on there, then no one knows where I am or what I am doing. But then if I'm on there too much, I, I want to run into traffic. And, and so like that there's, it's this, this weird thing. And again, for me, like all I'm doing, I can just sit down here, plug this microphone into my laptop and go for, for, for you, where you have to like, kind of deal with all of that and then go out and be one of the top athletes of the human race that like, I, I can't imagine how, how difficult that must be. Yeah, and it's um, and I'll add on top of that I also work full time. <laughs> um, right. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's I, I attest that I, I've been building a brand, you know, as an athlete for years and years and years, and it, it's really difficult. And it's, you know, I don't have the ten thousand followers that some of the athletes do, but I do pride myself that I've like organically built something as someone who has no, you know, knowledge and how to build a brand, you know, outside of a couple of courses or webinars I've done, it's just all been organic and trial and error. And, um, a lot of my athlete friends aren't on Twitter and I actually really enjoy Twitter. It's kind of like people might follow me and be like, she has all these different angles, but it's me. It's like, right. you know, I'm watching the games and then I'm watching the bachelorette and then I'm <laughs> traveling and then I'm tweeting about Calgary city politics and all this stuff. And it's also connecting me to a lot of awesome people um, in Calgary and I mean, and beyond, but I would say like, I use Twitter primarily to connect to like Calgary community, which mm -hmm. is, I, I'm born and raised here. It's something I'm really passionate about. I want to make Calgary so great. And I think Calgary is so great, despite so many things that are floating around in the media right now. Um, <laughs> but I just really like, I'm really passionate about that. So it, it has been an awesome way for me to use my voice but I do have to like remind myself that like, you know, it's not me. And I've had a couple people that I've known for a long time say like, you know, I, you're annoying on social media. And I was like, well, that's because it's like me, like business me, it's not personal me. And I don't have time to run a personal Instagram as well. Right. Um, so, 
<laughs> just don't be offended and unfollow me or like mute me, whatever. I, right. I'm not offended when I lose followers. I very much like detached from that as well. And I'm just like trying to be more organic with my social and, and in that regard, rather than the planned content, all that stuff, which is great. But I think people, again, it doesn't play into the narrative that, you know, human, that human aspect um, you know, you're not a big corporation. You're not Amazon running its brand. Like, right. it's okay to be a little bit, oh, I didn't post once today. Like all that stuff. It, I think that's okay. So that's kind of been what, what I've just flown with. And, you mm-hmm. know, when things are right, things are right. And I, I won't lie. I had COVID a couple months ago and I like went off the grid. I, there was like a month and a half, I think between my posts and I was like, oops, hi, I'm still alive. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, so yeah, I mean, it, it's been nice to just like, it's, but it's been a work in progress because you, I, I attest to that. You can otherwise spend hours scrolling, scrolling, scrolling and trying to figure out what to post and stressing about what to post and all that stuff. Right. Yeah. I've just kind of said, Hey, when I got something to post, I'll post it. Yeah, that's fair. That's a good way of going about things. Um, last one, because uh, I've taken up way too much of your time. Um, how, like, how, how has training going? You, you mentioned you yourself had COVID. I, I can't imagine that helped. Um, and with everything that's been going on in the world over the last 18 months, I, I can't imagine that's helped either. And now I almost feel like the Olympics being on with, with like off schedule a little bit, but being on now, and then there's Olympics next year as well. Like I, my own internal calendar is thrown right off. Um, so ha- has that affected things either? That, that is a long way of saying, how are things going? Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> it, it's taught me to be more adaptable for sure. I was really, really lucky um, that my dad um, has a like small home gym in his basement. He's had it forever um, or like the last 10 years or whatever. And as soon as like I was at the gym on March 16th, 2020, and then I got the text that was like, hey, like the world is shutting down. You can't come back to the gym. And we hopped right onto Zoom with my strength coaches, which is nowhere near as effective as being in person. Right. But at that point, I just felt lucky to have access to a like a small gym um and obviously like my my dad lives alone um so it was pretty easy to like we cohorted before cohorting was a thing because <laughs> he wasn't going anywhere I work from home you know it, it it was it just worked out perfectly um it taught me very much to trust you know I've worked with the same sprinting coach for the last four years I've worked with the same strength coach for the last five years so like it wasn't hard necessarily because I know what there's I know what they're saying. When I get my program, I know what they're saying. It's hard to get those like little cues and stuff like that. But I kind of was like, Hey, like I'll be okay. And I very much had to trust intuitively, like my knowledge and um, been around a little bit longer now as an athlete. So I I have, uh, if it was nine years ago when I first started skeleton, I probably would have been lost and not sure what to do, but I was like, great. Just rolled right back into this. I have a green space across the house, across the, uh, across from my house. And not sprinting on a track because all the city tracks were closed, but I was at least able to sprint outside somewhere. Um, yeah. So, I mean, and then the season rolled on and like, I spent the whole summer saying like, what am I training for? We're not even going to have a season. And sure enough, you know, things opened back up and they're like, great. We're going to go to Whistler. And then I was out in Whistler for about six weeks and they gradually started going to a lockdown. They're like, no one, no one else can come train at our high performance center unless you're already in BC. And we were already out there. And I was like, okay, well, guess I'm staying here. Um, <laughs> and then it really intensified in January, 2021. Um, I'd spent, I, after having COVID and all the restrictions, we traveled to the States. I spent 30 days in quarantine or isolation, wow. um, whether it be mandated by, you know, obviously we have the health, you know, government, USA, Canada, Alberta, that we had to fall under. But then I also had our, we had our own team regulations and we got private tests before we came together as a team. We isolated for seven days at a hotel up by the airport prior to leaving to the States, just to make sure that, you know, we weren't going to get anyone, any of our team sick, anyone that's traveling sick, anyone that we're area we're going to sick. Um, yeah, it was, it was a trip. And then we landed in Denver and it was like COVID didn't exist. There was <laughs> tens of thousands of people and Calgary had just been in that like super long, intense December lockdown. And I was like, whoa, this is crazy. Yeah. But we pretty much just holed up the whole year in our rooms and went to the track and got COVID tested about once a, once a week, once every couple of weeks. And then we got kicked out of New York. <laughs> Long story, but we got kicked out of New York. We were supposed <laughs> to stay in train. So had to rush back to Canada. 
we got in right before when we still had the Alberta pilot testing program. So again, my quarantine was shortened a little bit. Um, yeah, it just was super, it was crazy. A lot of time alone. Um, I'm lucky I work remotely, like I said, so I stuck in my hotel room, but I was like, Hey, at least I can like, you know, hop on my computer and still do my job and keep my mind occupied and, and that kind of stuff. And I did a lot of also podcasts and media interviews and stuff like that. Cause I was like, what better stuff do I have to do? I'm sitting in a hotel 24 hours a day. Right. Um, yeah. And then, well, I mean, long story short, right after the season, you know, I've been in intense following all the regulations and stuff ended up getting COVID. And I mean, that was, it was hard to be like weeks away from getting vaccinated and getting COVID. And you're like, I mm. almost made it. Yeah. Um, it, it wasn't that bad. I mean, I, I was still knocked out for a couple of weeks. I was on it on an inhaler for a little bit, a little bit. Um, yeah. yeah. Right before it just to allow me to transition back into training. Um, yeah, it was, <laughs> I mean, I don't recommend it. Obviously it was horrible. I'm very <laughs> lucky to be healthy, but I completely like decimated my immune system. Now I hadn't built up my off season yet. So I like didn't lose a bunch of fitness. So that was like, I, the, the best part of it, I guess. And okay. um, then I was just kind of, you know, I, I had a camp a couple weeks ago in July and, you know, there were times in April I was saying that and I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to, you know, get ready for this national team camp. Like, I don't know what my fitness is going to be. You know, am I going to be able to breathe? Am, am I going to have long COVID? Like there were so many spirals of like unknown and, you know, am I going to have long-term issues and all this stuff. And so I, I ran a couple weeks in our, in our camp and like to come out and be like, you know what? Like I wasn't quite there yet with my preparation, but I felt super fit. And so I was like, that in itself is a huge win when you like stop and reflect and you're like, wow, I didn't think that I would like even be able to run in the camp. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's been, I mean, <laughs> it's been really, it's been an up and down year, but I really just have kind of taken everything as it comes and been flexible and COVID I said was like the last it's like when people are throwing stuff at you and then they throw the kitchen sink COVID was <laughs> the kitchen sink um I'm pretty sure that was like talking about mental training I was like I can handle a lot now after the last year and mm. um yeah we'll see we'll see what happens we're supposed to potentially you know we don't know who yet but travel to China in September for the test event because believe it or not the Olympics is in February the only skeleton athletes who have been on the Olympic track are China skeleton athletes. Oh, so, lovely. Yeah. So, um, home track advantage, obviously. And yeah, but we get to go, um, they'll obviously pick certain people from our team to go again. We don't know how they're going to pick that, but we'll, that's again, something that I'm just like, Oh, it'll happen when it'll happen. But yeah, um, it'd be uh, interesting to think about being one of the first sports to go over for the test event in China and how that's going to go and all that stuff. It, it'll be, <laughs> I'm, I'm very curious how it's going to go and it'll definitely <laughs> set the tone for what the next six months of sport look like. And, um, obviously our sport is like very specific. The track is very specific versus like some sports, you know, you're like track and field is a good example. And summer is like, you know, a track is a track and yeah, there's like some variations, but they always go one way around a skeleton right. track is vastly different and everyone is unique and has its little nuances and you need run volume and you need that preparation piece before it so it'll be really interesting and it'll definitely show who is the most like adaptable resilient has their knowledge dialed in there and, and all that stuff it'll definitely play to those people versus those that you know become your home track there are tracks on tour you go to and you're like oh well so-and-so is in the mix because that's her home track so mm. um yeah stay tuned it'll be interesting <laughs> So pretty chill next few months then. Good. Uh, <laughs> uh, lastly, um, any sponsors you'd like to plug or anything that, that you're doing that you'd like to, to get out there? The, the floor is yours. Oh, thank you. Um, I mean, yeah, so I host with Kids Sport Calgary and Sport Calgary, um, myself and Bobsled Olympia and Alicia Risling. We host the Face First podcast, which is basically focused on um, promoting sport in Alberta and leaders in sport and athletes and all that jazz. So you can check it out um, through Sport Calgary or on iTunes. It's face first. Um, it's a little yellow logo with a bunch of sport people on it, but there's that. Um, yeah. And then just a couple of really awesome businesses here in Calgary that are kind of like my, my core team of strength and conditioning, um, vital strength physiology. That's who I mentioned. You know, she's Carla runs it. Um, she's the owner and that she's been with me for, a while she's awesome and then coalition calgary they're kind of in the same place same location but they're kind of my physio cairo etc but they've like 
they walk the walk in terms of supporting athletes. They both have athlete athlete rates that, you know, you have to kind of like apply for. And I've obviously been with them for a long time. So I'm now lucky to be extended that um, small amount of little cost savings, but it all adds up when you're going all of the time. <laughs> to see them. But yeah, I'll shout them out. And um, I mean, if you want to hear anything else, I have other sponsors on my website. It's gracedefo.ca. Um, you can head over there and see what's up in my world. I probably haven't blogged in a long time, but there's pictures, sponsors, all that, all that jazz. <laughs> okay. Uh, did I say your name wrong at the beginning? I said Defoe. Is it Defoe? It's either or. Willem, <laughs> Willem Defoe ruined it for me. Um, mm. uh, which is actually a really fun fact is like, we're super, super distantly related, like back like five or five generations or something like that. Um, but my Someone in my ancestors told me that we're like kind of distantly related, but he used to say Defo before he made it big as an actor. And I think he just stopped correcting people, oh, which, okay. is what I, which is what I also do when I go to get a table reservation. I'm like, yeah, Grace Defo for two. And they're like, oh, great. Defo, come this way. And you're like, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> Long story short. Um, okay. I'm used to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, <Not> Grace. Wrong. <laughs> okay. Well, good. Um, yeah. Well, Grace, thank you very much for doing this today. Um, and I, I'm sure we'll be catching up with you. Um, and I'll be taking up way too much of your time during what's supposed to be a, a very busy winter for you. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. And yeah, follow along to see my adventures throughout the year. It should be an interesting year. Yeah, no kidding. All right. Thank you. No problem. All right, that's the show. Thank you very much to Grace Dayfo. We covered a lot of ground on that, so hopefully you guys enjoy that. You can find that on YouTube, hopefully sometime this weekend, but certainly by Monday it will be up there, so you can check that out. It is uh, Primetime Klein 1 on YouTube, or just search Couch Potato Diary and it'll pop up there. That's going to do it for the show. Thank you guys very much. Um, did something a little bit different today with the Twitch stream. I like doing that while news is breaking. Just a, a fun way to kind of get the old radio juices flowing with live breaking news happening. So that was a lot of fun. Twitch.tv slash PK is the place to check that out. Otherwise, I'm um, going to be doing a couple more Okotoks Dogs games this weekend, and then I'll be back with another podcast on Monday. Have a good weekend, you guys. I'm out.